You know, road trips were forever changed with the introduction of technology. Uh, technology, I think we all could argue, can bring a lot of evil in this world, but it can do a lot of good. When I was growing up, my picture that I had in my mind of road trips was always the dad out on the hood with the map, right? Spread out across the hood. Took a wrong turn. My shortcut wasn't quite short. Uh, how am I going to fix this? Uh, where do I go? Well, now, thanks to technology, all you have to do is just type the address into your phone, hit go, and it gives you directions. Not just one direction, it'll give you multiple directions. And if at any point you make a wrong turn, rerouting, and it will send you back to where you're supposed to go. Because at the end of the day, the destination is known. And there are many ways to correct our path when we get off to get there. And that is one of the wonderful things about technology. It has done that for us. Well, the Bible, if you will take the lead with me, is like the navigation of the Christian life. All the instructions we need on how to get to our final destination, our known destination, are in the Word of God. We're going to be studying for the next eight weeks. We're going to be looking at Romans. Romans talks specifically about the church and the people in the church and how we're supposed to function with one another in the society around us. And I'm excited about it. I'm excited about looking at Romans. Romans is a wonderful book. It's beautiful. It's well written. Um, there's a lot of good stuff in it. And hopefully you'll see that too. Before we begin, let me pray. God, I come to you right now. I thank you so much for this day. I thank you for the word that you have bestowed upon us. God, I pray that you completely remove me from this equation today that you use me as a vessel to get your message across, that when we dive into your word this morning, God, that we see the truths that you have written there for us. God, I pray that you allow us to open our hearts to have those truths written deep down inside and let those truths and in, in, in your word guide our lives. We ask for these things in your son's name, I pray. Amen. Now here's the thing. As the church, as Christians, we have to see others as our equals. We're talking about humility today. One of the key things that Christians must be is humble. We need humility. And we have to see others as our equals if we hope to accomplish that. We're going to be in Romans. We're going to jump around today, but we're going to start out in Romans 2. We'll look at verses 1 through 4, which say, You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think that you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of His kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. There's a lot here. There's a lot here, and there's a lot of good stuff here. This passage addresses the sinful nature of human beings. It addresses specifically those who know right from wrong, still do wrong anyways, and like to lord over the fact that they know right from wrong on other people. As Christians, sometimes we fall into that habit. We like to justify our sin. We look at our sin and we say, yeah, it was sin, but it was it was like almost a good sin because I sinned for this purpose or I sinned for that purpose. And look at that person. That person's doing way worse than me. They are way worse off. This keeps hitting the mic, so I'm going to take it off. Excuse me as I derobe. <laughs> All right. So we like to look at people and say, oh, look at that person right there. They, they are way worse off than me because their sin is so much greater. This passage talks to us and it tells us to be careful but because we set the expectations for ourselves, by which we judge others, God will judge us. So how do we approach others 
when they sin? How do we treat that? Do we go with a sense of humility? Do we go with a sense of togetherness? Or do we like to point out right from wrong? Do we like to be right? Do we like to justify our actions? Do we like to tell others that they are worse off than us? Because newsflash, most of us in this room today know right from wrong and still sometimes choose wrong. Still sometimes choose wrong. In fact, if we look at Romans 3.23, and a lot of you will know this verse, shows that we all start at the same place. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What about those that are mature Christians who have increased in their righteousness? Shouldn't we, in our maturity, in our strength, correct others along the way and bring them to the Father? The answer there is yes. The answer there is yes, but how we do it is oh so important. Let's read Romans 3, 9 through 18. Now, this is when they're talking to both Jews and Gentiles, right? Looking at both Jews and Gentiles here. And the Jews who have been in the Word for a long time, who were mature in their faith, and the Gentiles who were kind of on the outside looking in, are all being brought together. And the author here is telling them, you're equals. What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Now, do we, he's talking about the Jews who have had more experience with God. Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles are alike all under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. For there is no fear of God before their eyes. All of us. That's where we all are. Think about that for a second. Think about that for a second. If left to our own devices, that's where we all are. That's where we all are. The murderer, the child abuser, the liar, the cheater. We all find ourselves at the same foundation, at the same place. So what separates somebody who is not there from somebody who ends there? The grace of God. The grace of God. Literally, the only thing that separates us from sinners, from non-Christians, from people who are destined for hell, is the grace of God. Left to our own devices, we end up right next to them. We end up right next to them. So how can we lord that over them? How can we be so proud of what we are and what we've done because we've done nothing? What are we but people who have accepted the gift of grace from God? who have said, I see truth in the fact that you sent your son who loves us. It's with humility that we must accept that grace and it's with humility that we must love others. By nature, we're all sinful. We enter this world a sinner. Those of us who have Jesus should humbly rest in the grace that he has given to us. Because when we judge others, we set the ruler for which we will be judged by. We set that measure. That's a dangerous game. It's a dangerous game. Better to be humble in love and find ourselves forgiven than to set a trap for ourselves in our own self-righteousness. Let's look at the verse, Romans 2, 1. Let's look at 4 again. 
Or do you show... I'm going to look at 3.2, sorry. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them, yet you do the same things, do you think that you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of His kindness, forbearance, patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? God's kindness, His grace, is intended to lead you to repentance. How many of us can say that we regularly repent when needed? We can see others need to repent. We can see the sin in their lives. We don't mind holding them accountable for it. But do we use the same ruler for ourselves? Because that's what God will do. Because that's what God will ultimately do. And that's why we must leave the judgment to God. We must leave the judgment to God. Hear me on this. Romans 2, 5 through 11. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the days of God's wrath. When his righteous judgment will be revealed, God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. God does not show favoritism. This is embarrassing to admit, but sometimes I've looked at myself in life, not recently, I'll be honest, but sometimes I've looked at myself in life as God's chosen one. I want to be very clear about that. I want to be very clear about that. I don't mean that like I think that God is making me the next Jesus or the next Billy Graham or the next anything. I just feel like I really was able to buy into the fact that everyone's special and that therefore I too am special. And so, like, God has chosen me to do great things. And and listen, scripturally, I think this is accurate. I do think that everyone is special. And I do think that God has chosen you to fill a specific purpose that, that you can fill. But where I've come up short is I've taken my greatness, my greatness, and I've used that to look at others and say, they're not as great as me. That's embarrassing. I don't want to admit that today. Like, especially as the pastor, I don't want to say that that is something that I've done, but it's something that I've done. And I've looked at that, and I've said, look how great I'm doing, and this, and that, and this, and that, and that, and that, and I'm wonderful. And that person, uh uh-oh, they're going to go to hell. What happens when I sin? Yeah, I did, but, you know, it was for a good purpose. I I, I know that, that sounds so funny, but we justify our sin in life. We do. We sin and we find a way to make it okay. To make it like, yes, God, forgive me. But hey, listen, my motives were good. Like I lied, but I lied to spare feelings. So all's well. I may have killed that guy, but he was going to kill a hundred others. So really, I, I'm, that, I'm joking. That, sorry. That was... But that's a lot of time what can happen is that we can sin and we can avoid the sin that we've done and we see the sin in others and... and it's just not our job to do that. It's not our job to judge others. It's not our job to look at others and say, that person's destined for hell. Because at the end of the day, honestly, how could we know? How could we know? Yes, we see sin. Yes, we can recognize sin. Yes, we need to call people to repent and go to Jesus. Yes, I'm not questioning any of that. 
I'm just saying, how do we approach them? We're going to talk about that, but how do we approach those people? And how dare any of us look at ourselves as self-righteous and say, I can stand over judgment of you. It's not our job to decide what's sin and what's not. It's not our job to judge others. It's not our job to determine anyone's punishment for anything. As if we are somehow righteous enough to determine that. Let's look at James 4, 11, 12. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but are sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Why say it when Scripture can say it better? Who are you to judge your neighbor? In my study this week, I was reading all kinds of different authors and I was watching different videos. And Guys, just so you know, if you ever get on the internet, there, yes, there's a lot of evil, but there is so much good out there. I just want to say that. You can find so much good, so much godly good, so much just build you up, look to Jesus good on the internet. I did that this week and I found some good things and I heard a pastor addressing his congregation and he said something that stuck with me. It goes hand in hand with verse, uh, I think verse 11 that we read earlier that says, for God does not show favoritism. This is what he said. He said that God affords the same amount of grace to the person that is too difficult to love as he does to you. Think about that. Think about that. God affords the same amount of grace to the person that you find too difficult to love as he does to you. It requires the same amount of grace to make you righteous as it does the dirtiest of sinners. The same amount. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Who are we to attack people who come up short? Who are we to stand in judgment of people that come up short. Rather, are we not here to love? Are we not here to point people to God's grace? This isn't prosperity gospel. This isn't God's going to get you a raise in a bigger house and fantastic things. Maybe he will. Maybe he won't. But what I can say is that God calls you to love people regardless of their situation and to approach them with humility. What we must do is focus on righteousness. We must focus on righteousness. Romans 2, 12 through 16. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law that are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing them and at other times defending them. This will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. See, it's not enough to know the law. Lots of us know right from wrong. Most people, I would say, have some sort of innate knowledge of right from wrong. Unless they're a sociopath, and then that's a whole different world. But most of us innately, I think, know right from wrong. It's not enough to know. What is it that we do? Do we do right over wrong? Do we choose right over wrong? We must right 
the law on our hearts. And the only way that that happens is to dive into Jesus, to dive into the Word, to spend time in prayer, to spend time in communion, to spend time among each other, to say that you are people that I love and you are people that I will be with and I will be with God and I will be in God and I will read His Word and I will do the things that He has called me to do. And I will do them with humility because I am where I am at because of the grace that God has afforded me. The biggest mistake that we can make is finding ourselves in the comparison game. It's the biggest mistake that we can make. Am I better off than them? Am I worse off than them? Am I a better Christian? Am I a worse Christian? Who cares? Are you what God wants you to be? Are you trying to improve daily? Are you becoming more like Jesus? That's what's important. Scripture warns us against the judgment game. It tells us, in Matthew 7, 1 through 5, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in yours, in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly enough to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now I get a great mental picture that I wish I could put on screen whenever I read this passage. Like we all know what it's like to have something in our eye, right? We're sitting there and we're like, I, I don't know. We're searching for it. Hey, do you see anything? Like that type of thing. There's a little speck of sawdust in one person's eye. Then there's another guy walking around with a two by four, just like knocking people in the head as he turns. He's like, oh, hey, let me get that for you. And then the guy's like, shouldn't we help you first? Like, shouldn't we take care of that issue? For that looks a little more serious than the speck of sawdust. There's a whole plank there. You've got a board where you should have an eye. That's a problem. <laughs> but how quick can we be to ignore the fact that we're walking around with a two-by-four sticking out of our head when we see that little speck of sawdust in someone else's eye that we just can't wait to remove, or not even sometimes remove. A lot of times we just can't wait to point it out. I don't care about removing it, but look at that speck. Look what they've done. Look at that issue that they have. So how do we approach people? How do we stay in humility and yet be in the righteousness of God and hold each other accountable and, and love others and point others to God? If we hope to help people to Jesus, we have to make sure that there's nothing in our way. Do we still hold others accountable for their actions? Yes, we do. Do we only focus on ourselves? No, we don't. Seeking righteousness with a spirit of humility doesn't prevent us from walking with others in God's grace and in our faith. It influences, however, the way we walk with others. Rather than saying, follow me, it says, let's walk through this together. Hear that. Rather than saying, follow me, it says, let's walk through this together. It doesn't say, let me tell you how I can fix it. It says, what can we do to be one and to step through this as one? Can I share your burden? Can I share your burden? Humility empathizes with others. It sees their pain and their struggle and their sin, and it says, that could easily be me. 
That could easily be me. We all have a choice to make. We all have a choice to make. How do we treat others? How do we help others with their sin? How do we approach them? How can we show others the truth that is Jesus, the truth that is God, the truth is that sin will take you to hell, that sin will end your life, your days, in complete and total despair, and yet do it with a spirit of humility to say, I would be right there with you, except God's grace. There's a Jesus who loved you so much that he chose to leave a throne, to live like a beggar, die on a cross, be broken and be abused because you are loved. I have accepted that love that does not make me perfect, that does not make me better than you. That means that I rest in that grace and that grace is afforded to you as well. Can I speak with you about that? Can I speak with you about that? That's really a decision that all of us have to make. And what will your choice be? Let's pray. God, I come to you right now. I ask that you make us a people in a church of humility. Make us a place that welcomes every sinner despite of their sin that says, You are loved, you are valued, and your life can change. Help us to be people who don't look past our own sin and see ourselves as some perfect object or creature because we have experienced the grace of God, because your kindness and your grace and your patience was given to lead us to repentance. May we be so humble, may we be so in tune with who you are, God, that we can lead others to that same precious gift. Don't ever let us look at the accomplishments that you have obtained for us and see them as our own. Don't let us see anything in our lives as something that we have ownership of, that we can lord over, that we can take credit for. Rather, God, give us the spirit that says we are because God is We are because God is. Help us lead by example and falling at your feet in repentance. Help us to be people who won't ignore the plank in our eye to look at the speck in their brothers, but say, I will rest in Jesus and I will seek to be righteous. And if I can help someone else along that road, we can walk side by side and do this together. Then God, so be it. I ask all these things in your son's name. Amen. We talk about this a lot, but there's a couple decisions that we can all make. I don't know everyone's heart in this room. Some of you may have come to the realization that you don't know Jesus like you should know Jesus. That's a discussion between you and God. That's something that your conscience will lay on your heart. That's something that the Spirit will call you to. 
But if you do not know Jesus, do not leave this place today without speaking with me about that. Let's have a conversation. Let's pray together. Let's talk about what it means to follow Jesus. Don't leave this room. Don't take one step out that door if you are unsure. Some of you will say like we've talked about, hey, I know the destination. I, I am a Christian, but somewhere along the road I took a right turn when I should have stayed on the path or turned left even. And I've just found myself off in the wilderness, but I want God to reroute me. I want God to bring me to the destination known. I need to recommit my life to Jesus. Talk to me about that. Some of you just need to pray. There's pain in this room. There's suffering in this room. There's frustration and stress in this room. Let's pray about it. Let's talk to God. Let's not be fearful. Let's not be ashamed. Come see me. I'll be right there. And I will wait and I will sit here for hours to pray and talk with every single person if you need that. Some of you may want to pray with Jared. He'll be up here to your left and he would love to pray with you. Come seek him out. Otherwise, stand and worship the God who is gracious enough to bestow heaven upon us and to say, despite of your flaws, despite of all your sin, you are loved. Let's worship this morning.